Welcome to the Free Thinker Society podcast. I'm like, on a rant, I think, about, about conspiracy theorists and fuck that term and explain how the CIA coined that term. And I said, you know, we're, we're free thinkers. And as soon as the episode was over, Sam called me. He's like, you need to start a show called The Free Thinker Society with Mike Romanelli. Freaks, Geeks, and Freethinkers. This is Mike Romanelli, Season 2, Episode Number 4 of the Freethinker Society with Mike Romanelli. I am here with my main man, Mystic Mark, and we had an awesome episode. Uh, we talked to Derek Bros from the Conscious Resistance. Uh, we touched on the Finders. Uh, the guy's a really, really interesting dude. He's doing some crazy work. Um, but we just decided to talk about the Finders today. Mark, did you find it pretty interesting? Great interview, a little rocky with the audio quality. I'll do my best to fix that in studio, folks. But, you know, today's wow. guest, I don't know if he was, I think he's got Mexico internet or something. He said he's in Mexico. But uh, Derek is great, you know. Despite that, he, you know, brought the heat. A lot of information off the top of his dome. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he's been covering this case for years people have heard him talk about it before but there are some new things that i heard him talk about today uh revelations you know he did recently speak with the um terrell guy i forget his first name uh a second time so yeah it is sort of if you've heard derek speak on other podcasts before uh it's kind of an update uh and he just recently put some more uh, info out on the finders. So yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. Wild, a little dark, but it's wild stuff. Uh, and I give him so much credit for, for the research he's doing. I mean, he's really re- out there on the front lines getting that research. That's nuts. Um, yeah, I just want to thank everybody that's been tuning in. I want to uh, thank Mark on here because he's been doing a really good job of keeping this thing together for season two. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, hit up our telegram. Telegram is a newer thing that we're using and, uh, Please join it. We're going to be more interactive with you guys on there. Yeah, and all the places, Instagram as well. I think you still have the Instagram going yeah, on. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll put the links in the Instagram and in the description of this episode. But, uh, but yeah, enjoy this conversation with Derek Bros. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you. So today we got Derek. What's going on, man? I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, look forward to chatting with you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very happy to have you on, on the show, man. So Mark was telling me a little bit about your research, and I was I was diving in. And you span all kinds of subjects. He also just told, told me something really interesting about the Finders. You just got to interview somebody from the Finders cult? Yeah, so um, I actually interviewed for a second time uh, this guy named Robert Terrell. He's one of the founding members of the Finders. And I interviewed him back in, uh, I want to say, the fall of 2018 when I was working on my what would end up becoming my documentary, Who Will Find What the Finders Had. Uh, which is about an hour-long look into the Finder's cult story and trying to follow up on some of the, the threads that never got pulled. And so I interviewed this man, Robert Terrell, who, again, was the right-hand man of the founder of the Finders, all kinds of weird connections to intelligence agencies, and in some ways was was and still is the spokesman for whatever's left of the Finders. And so he agreed to meet me back then, and we did an interview we included in the documentary. Um, but at the time... When I it just actually that with the way it happened is uh, I was driving through Florida in 2018 and I was actually finishing up a documentary on Jeffrey Epstein and so we stopped at Jeffrey Epstein's house and we filmed the scene outside of his house 
And then I was kind of already anticipating, okay, the next thing I'm going to do is look into this finder's cult. And I was already doing some preliminary research. And I found that this man, Robert Terrell, who is, like I said, really heavily quoted um, from the group as their spokesperson uh, back in the 80s when this incident first happened, that he happened to be living like literally 30 minutes from where we were when we were just driving through on our way out. And uh, so, you know, just sort of synchronicity. I did some research, found his number, called him up, and he agreed to do an interview. But when I sat down and did that interview, which is about an hour long, and, you know, there's clips of that used in the documentary, um, I was still just getting into my finder's research, so I didn't really fully know all the details um, just yet. So I was sort of, I was doing a good job of just being objective and letting him answer the questions as he likes to, but had I, my thought had always been afterwards, like, damn, if I would have known the things I knew now, once my documentary was completed, I would have pushed back on this particular answer he said, or I would have said, hey, you know, let me follow up with this question. But at the time, I didn't really know as much, so I just kind of let him say his thing, and that was that. Uh, but ultimately, you know, a couple of years after the documentary came out, I've still been keeping my eyes and ears connected to the finders world and still trying to find anybody from back then willing to speak. And uh, yeah, we were in Florida again, and I decided to reach out to Toby Terrell, Robert Terrell, and he agreed to do another interview. And I actually just released it about, I think, a month or so ago. So, Derek, before we get too deep into this, do you mind giving the listeners just a little bit of history on the finders? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, the short version is that in 1987, there was there was two well-dressed men seen at a park near Tallahassee with several children who were described as disheveled, dirty, bug bites, um, you know, kind of just looking like hungry and hadn't, you know, just all looking a mess, right? Yeah. And so some anonymous tipster calls and says, hey, there's some weird scene going on. There's a van with these two guys are in suits and they've got all these kids with them. Uh, the cops end up showing up and they interrogate them. They arrested the two men and that arrest, uh, and then of course taking the kids in, that arrest led to an international story that, you know, we I was able to go back and find newspaper clips from all the major papers in 1987, international papers talking about this, it became like a story internationally because <clears throat> there was accusations coming out of these men potentially being involved in some sex trafficking cult and abuse of the children. And there was satanic accusations and there was a con you know, accusations of connections to intelligence agencies, U.S. intelligence agencies and foreign intelligence agencies. So it became like a really big story for, I'd say, a week or less. Um, Washington Post, New York Times, all of them reporting on it, like cult being investigated. The men were held, I think, for 45 days or something like that. The, the, the kids were taken in and they were interviewed and asked all kinds of questions. And yeah, in the end, they decided to let the, the two men go. They said it was a misunderstanding. And, uh, you know, that was it. That's the end of the story. Like, okay, Finders was just part of the satanic moral panic of the 80s. There's nothing there. People were just paranoid because they saw some pictures of goats being killed or something, you know, that's sort of the mainstream version of events. And then that's it. And like, it disappears from 1987. After that, there was in 1993, a few years later, a second investigation that came up where the government actually had, you know, there was enough noise being made after the finder's case was attempted to be kind of a uh, memory hold that they, uh, they had to do a second investigation in 1993. But of course, in that investigation, they didn't really look deeply and they just said, yeah, we looked into it. It's still fake. It, it, there was nothing to it. And so, you know, the reason there wasn't a second investigation is because there was only one real officer, maybe a couple others, but one for sure, 
that was trying to speak out and say like, hey, actually there's a lot more going on than what you guys are being told. His name was Ramon Martinez. He was a US customs agent. And so when these men were arrested in Florida um, and taken in and you know, questioned everything, they were very quickly connected to, okay, there's this group that we call the Finders. And the Finders um, had a, an apartment complex and uh, in DC, Washington, DC, which actually is kind of crazy. Like if I put it on the map, uh, the location of where the finders were staying, it's less than a mile from Comet Ping Pong, which is just like another kind of interesting thing in the DC area. Um, and uh, they also had a farm in West Virginia. And so anyways, when they were originally arrested, the DC cops called the Florida cops and like, hey, we think these people might be connected to this cult we're investigating. You know, can you tell us more? They get a warrant to go raid the finders warehouse and the finders apartment complexes. And since there was potential or there had been like accusations of potential child trafficking or international travel, the U.S. Customs Agency got involved. And so Ramon Martinez was one of the agents uh, assigned to go with the Washington Metro Police as they did a uh, warrant, uh, ser serving a warrant on one of the finders warehouse. And so Ramon Martinez was present for this whole investigation and he started taking detailed notes of what he witnessed and what he witnessed, according to his U.S. Customs report, and I have all these reports in, in the Finder's Archive, which people can download for free. Um, he basically described seeing uh, at the Finder's Warehouse, there was instructions on buying children from China in one document they found. Uh, he said that there was, you know, multiple passports for different people, like showing that they had passports for different countries, uh, multiple identities. Um, they were using an early version of the Internet. I mean, this is 1987, right? So this is like super early. But they apparently were already using something close to what we would consider Wi-Fi um, or at least a cabled internet kind of network for themselves to communicate. There was apparently, Martinez says that you know, they saw uh, instructions from other Finders members on how to avoid the police that made it clear that like they were aware, hey, that the cops are coming to our place. Like, here's how to get out of town without them. So they, there had already been like a mad scramble of people leaving. Um, and Martinez says he also saw pictures of naked children and uh, in suggested positions that there was this room that looked like it was being used for shooting some sort of videos and scenes and um, you know, so a number of different things that he, he reports and filed in his customs report after that raid. Now, what happens from there is that he's waiting to find, to, you know, hear back from the Washington Metro Police. They collected all the evidence that day. I found one newspaper picture that shows them walking out with a bag of evidence that was probably destroyed or burned or, you know, who knows where it's hidden now. But after that, Martinez basically becomes the only voice actually speaking out. The other agents who were uh, in on the warrant and the walk through the warehouse, they claimed they didn't see any of the stuff that he did. They started bad-mouthing him, saying he's known for sticking his nose in places that doesn't belong and um, basically just making him look crazy. And as he's waiting to try to hear back from the Washington Metro Police, he goes back there to the station and tries to talk to you know, whoever's there. And he, he reports that he was told by somebody at the Washington Metro Police, he didn't say who it was, that um, that the investigation had become a internal CIA matter that the CIA had got, got involved in this investigation of the finders. And so that, you know, that was the first investigation. As I said, it just totally disappeared in the mainstream. They tell everybody it was just a big misunderstanding, but Martinez never gave up. He started speaking loudly to like uh, count, uh, con uh, congressman at the time. Uh, this guy rose, I can't remember the other, but there was a few others that you can find quotes from back then that were apparently like 
actively investigating and that led to this 1993 subsequent investigation but still they found they claim they found nothing and subsequently martinez's uh career was destroyed like he eventually was driven out they you know for something totally unrelated but he says it was politically motivated just to get him out of there and so they had like people file complaints on him saying that he had made stuff up that he was lying they pretty much just destroyed his career and he um he continued to try to speak out and i guess after 1993 he kind of went quiet and when I was pursuing this documentary, I actually reached out to him and talked uh, talked to him briefly via email. And he was he was going to be in the interview, but he got scared and he backed out. Wow! So it was he was he the only person to come forward on this case? Well, there's another guy named Sergeant Brad Stitcher who mm-hmm. was quoted as saying that there was a cover up going on, but he actually died around the same time, and he was only 40 years old. And they said that like, I've I've looked up his death records and found like okay was it something weird? They claim that he got like sepsis of the liver or something like you know and these kind of things of course could be faked or who knows? I mean I, I don't have any solid proof just yeah. yet, but it definitely is like suspicious that the only other guy who was quoted from within the metro department who was like yeah there's a clear cover up going on and he said he had evidence that he. Um, he ends up dying, and there's one other officer named Scott Hunt. I did a, a short podcast about him that was kind of like an, an addendum to my Finders documentary. He was one of the only other officers because, I mean, I, I was using newspapers.com and a bunch of old newspaper resources, which are great to find, like, historical stuff. And I was searching for, like, international reports, U.S. reports, Florida-based reports, D.C. reports, all mentioning the Finders in and around that time, um, and just finding a lot of these you know, articles that probably hadn't been read in 30 years. And, and there's different quotes in there, things that they would like us to forget. And one of those is this officer, Scott Hunt, also saying that he believes that there was a cover-up going on. So he had like at least two different officers saying that there was a cover-up. Uh, Sergeant John Stitcher, he died. They supposedly unrelated. John uh, Scott Hunt is alive, and I've been able to track him down to a couple of places, but he doesn't seem interested in, you know, speaking up. Yeah. And that's the thing is I think the people who really know – or, you know, what they claim to have seen, like, are probably scared out of their mind. Like, I mean, honestly, so whenever I reached out to Martinez, I told him, like, hey, I'm doing a, I'm, I'm going to make a documentary about the finders. I know that you were the only person trying to speak out about this. You know, at first he was, he was open to it. And, uh, you know, he was just, he was like, yeah, I'll be willing to talk to you over the phone, but some things could be off the record. I was like, that's great. You know, I just want to talk to you. And then uh, I think he was like a Trump supporter or something because I sent him my Jeffrey Epstein documentary I had just finished. I was like, oh yeah, here's a sample of some of my work. And the documentary does have a picture of like Trump and Epstein and it you know explores that area. And I think it triggered him because like 10 minutes later, he emails me back. He's like, never mind, I'm not gonna be a pawn in somebody else's game. I'm, I just like flipped out on me and just I was like, yo dude, chill out. Like, you know, I was like, I, I just, you're the only one that really can blow this open man like you said these things you and you if you stand by what you said then like speak out and um the last thing he said to me via email was uh he's like i've talked to a number of journalists over the years and nothing's ever come of it so what difference is it going to make if i talk to you he's like i have he's like i have no doubt that what i know happened well there will never be any accountability for you know what i know is happening and so he definitely was still standing by his word and everything and I actually, and I don't know if I mentioned this in the documentary, but I actually, once I tracked him down and I was like, you know what, I'm making this documentary. I need to get this guy on camera and he doesn't want to talk to me via email. 
well, fuck it. I found out where he teaches Tai Chi classes at in <laughs> on the East Coast and went there and did a little scouting out with a friend of mine. It was like, you know, going in the building like, hey, I'm looking for to find out more about Tai Chi classes for my grandpa because he just like elderly classes. And it was like, God, oh, can you tell me more about the instructors? And they're like, yeah, Mr. Martinez. Oh, is he in today? He's like, yep. So then I just sat outside waiting for him to walk out. I only had like one 15-year-old picture of him. But I recognized him right away. And he came outside and I walked up and uh, he had like a Bluetooth e earpiece. And I think he was on the phone with his wife or something. I walked up and just introduced myself. Say, hey, how are you doing, Mr. Martinez? He started shaking my hand. And I said, I'm Derek Rose. And I think as soon as he recognized my name, yeah, I was like, I'm the journalist that you've been emailing. He, he flipped out again and he's like, get the fuck away from me. Get the fuck away from me. Don't fucking come near me. And he's like telling whoever's on the phone. He's like, it's that journalist. It's that journalist again. And I was like, dude, please, you know, I'm, I'm, I was backed up. But I was like, please, man, like if you speak up, you can help blow this whole story open. Like if you still choose to speak up now. And uh, he was just mumbling and like, you know, get the fuck away from me. He jumped in his trunk and drove off. And that was that, you know, I made a trip all the way over there for just for that purpose and fully knowing that he might totally reject me. But I felt like I couldn't make the documentary without at least trying to, uh, yeah. you know, communicate with him. And I, I learned through my investigation too with the finders that, you know, one of the reasons he's probably skeptical is because 48 hours, the, uh, you know, the TV show, they uh, had one producer years ago that was investigating the finders and apparently did interview uh, Martinez, but it never made it to air. Like it never aired. Like you can go through all the archives of 48 hours. And I've tried to contact the producer that was working on it at that time and gotten no responses. But yeah, so apparently there was an interest at one point, but somebody, you know, said never mind. And so I think he just kind of feels like he's retired. He's alive. They're leaving him alone for whatever he saw and knows. And um, I think he probably just is like feeling probably like that's the best thing for him instead of getting back involved. But for me, I'm just like, damn it, dude, we need you to speak up. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. So I didn't know that. I thought there was more, more, uh, people, officers, different people that came out. Um, I didn't realize it was only the really two and only one that, that said anything. That's crazy. Um, well, there's, were... there's other pieces of evidence, but yeah, as far as like the officers, like actually saying like hey this is a cover-up there's something going on it, it was it was only a few that we know i mean there may have been others that saw things and chose to be quiet yeah 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 absolutely so then you were saying you you interviewed two times the, the one of the founders of of the actual cult what was yeah. that all about how how is that yeah so it was kind of creepy at first honestly yeah it was in like this little attic above this so okay here's one of the weird things is in the finders, when you start looking up the history, first, like maybe I should explain a little more. Like, you know, they're called the finders because they collect finders fees. Allegedly, you know, the, again, the mainstream story is these are just a bunch of eccentric old hippies, former hippies, beatniks that in the uh, 70s and 80s were, you know, there was all these guru movements and cult movements and stuff like that. And they weren't one that was particularly drug focused. They were like hyper organized and hyper, you know, getting shit done. And like, so... Marion Petty, who's the founder, who comes out of Air Force Intelligence, whose wife worked for the CIA, whose son worked for the CIA, but claimed that once he retired, he never had anything to do with the intelligence community. Um, but he said that, you know, he was tasked with going out there and trying to connect with like youth movements. The, he mentioned the human potential movement, the futurist movement, you know, some of the things that people like Epstein and others were also into. Um, and just I, he, he says that he had a house that would be regularly visited by spooks like CIA agents 
and hippies and travelers. And he's like, yeah, I hosted all kinds of these people in the fifties and sixties and up to seventies and eighties. So it's just this house of like eccentric people. He, he has the nickname, the game caller or the stroller, the walker, because sort of the way it worked is they got all these people to, you know, a lot of cults attract people who are unstable or maybe just they're like, they're easily taken advantage of or whatever. But he got all these people to put their money into what they called, I think it was the information bank or something like that. And it was like, okay, everybody give me all your money, basically put all your money into this community and we'll all just live freely and it'll be wonderful and great. And, uh, you know, so people did, including Robert Terrell, the, the, the guy I interviewed, who was his right-hand man, who, according to him, he shared the same toothbrush with Mary and Petty for 25 years. That's how close they were. Um, you know, he, he came in, he, the way he tells his story is that he was like a, middle-aged suburban man with the wife and two kids. And then I guess around the seventies and eighties, he starts having some shift or some awakening, or I don't know, falls in love with Petty or something, but he decides to leave his wife, leave his kids and literally just go join this cult and give him like their whole, his whole life savings and just commit his whole life to it. And like I said, he becomes the, the spokesman whenever he was giving press conferences around the arrests, he would, uh, put a Ronald Reagan mask on the back of his head and then face to, you know, talk to the crowd, like with the back, like he, you know, just weird shit like that. So that guy ends up being the right-hand man. And after Petty dies, like I said, he's sort of now still carrying on. I mean, they say the finders is over, but, uh, you know, we also have documentation from the cops that said that the fine, that, you know, there's specific statements from some of the, uh, one of the final reports that, got declassified. I don't know if I mentioned this in 2018, actually after my documentary, I don't know if it's any coincidence or what, but the FBI randomly started dropping, uh, FBI documents, um, or, you know, finders documents. They did, uh, what do they do? They did three different dumps starting October, 2018 to like February. And some of it was stuff that some of us researchers have already seen, but some of it was brand new information and just more corroboration. And one of those documents includes a police report saying that, this sergeant, whoever wrote it, it was redacted saying like, we do not trust that this group is actually going to break up as they claim. He's like, we found uh, documents of the finders master plan where they discuss breaking up into different splinter groups and renaming themselves, but never really stopping what they're doing, you know, as far as organizing. And so like this particular police report was just saying like, we should keep our eyes on these people. They're not going to just, you know, disband. And so there was definitely a lot of implications of all this stuff happening. And Terrell played the role of just downplaying it all. And so, as I said, when I interviewed him the first time in 2018, I didn't really know many of the facts. I just kind of like, okay, I had some basic questions and I let him say his thing. And it was, you know, that was a good enough interview, but I had the chance to go back just a few months back and, um, kind of drill him a little bit further and then also he wanted to to drill me and like he was pissed off <laughs> he definitely didn't like the documentary um you know but I, and so we me and him i actually included all this in my interview you can find it at the conscious resistance.com I'll, I'll give you guys the link to share but he uh he pretty much starts off like our conversation when i was recording this too just giving me a lecture about being a good journalist and uh just this kind of, it, it just this real manipulative sort of way of like you know, this is just conspiracy theory. I, I can't believe, you know, we, I thought we had a good rapport. And then you totally take it this direction. Because all I said in the documentary was like, I played his statements. Here's what he says. We've never been connected to intelligence agencies. We don't have it. This is preposterous, blah, blah, whatever. But then I also do note, okay, his statements conflict with what the Tallahassee police report says. The Tallahassee medical police report, the first people to inspect the children, they found that at least three kids showed signs of sexual abuse. 
Mary had her hymen broken and something had penetrated her. Um, that one of the kids, his, he had, what the hell is it called? Like a rectal prolapse where he, he couldn't hold his bowels in because of, they said more than likely from sodomy. Like, you know, there was these things that the police report show that contradict what he claims. And so I could sit there across from this guy objectively as a journalist and interview him, like this guy might be a pedophile. Like this guy might be involved in some crazy shit, but I'm going to give him his chance to say what he's got to say. And so, yeah, but he started off by really just wanting to lecture me about like, this is, you know, this is not what a good journalist does. Like you need to trust your own intuition and this and that. And, and yeah, he really tried to downplay things. So I had to push back from him a little bit and just say like, Hey man, like this isn't just me making shit up. Like I'm referencing police documents, right? Again, like you can tell me this is all preposterous. It's so crazy. Um, you know, and the, some of the answers he gave were just in my mind, very reaching. Like at one point, because he knew that me and my partner Miriam that were into meditation and when we met him, we were traveling for a tour doing meditation. And so the, one of the answers he gave me in 2018 was something like, you know, be, being a yogi or a meditator is a lot like being in an intelligence agency because, you know, it just starts giving this weird, I'm like, <laughs> what are you, he's trying to like make it make sense. And is I don't know, it just really was weird. And so the second time around, again, I gave him his chance and he said, but I was able to this time say, okay, look, man, I know you say this, but I just reviewed the police documents and they say this. So either you're expecting me to believe you and say that Ramon Martinez just made up this whole thing. This other officer, oh, he must've just made up, oh, that guy, he had an excuse for pretty much everything. And I think this is the way they set up the story. Cause again, the first thing you'll say about Martinez, oh, that Martinez guy, you know, he lost his job later, right? He was discredited this and that. It's like, well, cause they came after him. And now it's a convenient thing to say, oh yeah, that guy's not credible. You know, he's not worth trusting. Oh, and that other guy, well, that was the first report they wrote. They did an updated report afterwards and that said something different. You know, he had like an answer for so the, every little thing. So Derek, what does he say that they're actually like the purpose of the cult or the group that he would, I'm sure he would call it a group, not a cult. What was he saying? Um, Did he give you a purpose of why they were even a group? So it kind of comes back to like this game caller thing. Again, the game caller is one of the nicknames, actually Toby Terrell, his book, which you can still find out there on the finders, which again, to me seems like a sort of, this is our official history. We want you to know kind of book okay. uh, is called the game, the game caller. And it actually has one of the only pictures of, of, uh, Marion Petty, the founder that is known to exist, that we have not been able to find any more pictures of him. Uh, he was clearly an intelligence agent involved in intelligence agencies till his death, even though he said otherwise. But they claim that they are, again, just like coming together. They, they really try to frame themselves as if they were the progenitors of the unschooling, homeschooling movement. They're like, you know, we were trying to, this is like what he says to me in the documentary. He's like, the last thing we would have done is hurt these kids. We were trying to show them, you know, what it's like to live a different kind of lifestyle where, you know, they're not stuck in the the structures of like things that like, yeah, are, you know, people like us are like, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. But it doesn't really match what they were seemingly really up to, you know, but that's the way they try to play, play it off is like, they're just, oh, like, for example, um, the whenever they first got the kids, they, they were having trouble identifying who the moms or who the parents were. And the yeah. kids, I mean, the th I didn't mention this. The kids were like, the kids had no idea what TV was, what uh, a blender was, like really basic, you know, quote unquote, modern things, because that was just the shoes they were, the way they were choosing to raise them, like outside of that, you know, that's kind of interesting. But they were totally... They totally seemed clueless about just what was going on and they weren't sure who exactly was their parents within the group so the kids were clearly getting passed around in i don't know what kind of ways but 
and, and it took like a week or more for them to identify who the real mothers of the kids were. And they, they got some people to claim, yeah, we're the mothers, you know, we're, they're okay to be with these men. The men claimed originally like, oh, we were on the way to taking these kids to a school in Mexico for bright, for, you know, intelligent minds. Or that was their cover story for wherever they were really going. But yeah. And, and so Terrell tries to deny all of the allegations and essentially says they were just this eccentric group. They formed around petty and pretty much what would happen on a daily basis is they would say game color can you call a game to him and they he would literally just give them assignments and what i think was going on is that there is the inner circle that really knew what was going on and maybe a sort of outer circle that made it appear like you know sort of innocuous like oh yeah we just get together and do weird things and some people knew what they were doing and some people didn't so he would do things like okay your mission today mike is to go out and find a bar of gold a red robe and a basket of oranges, you know, just random shit like that. That seemed totally random. Or he would give them like, here, here's five hundred dollars. Go to San Francisco, come back with the finest chocolate you get. You know, just whatever, like random things that these were their tasks, their games that he would give them, and then they would go do them. And they, you know, they try to come up with some half baked theory about like, oh, this, you know, challenges the brain and the way that you think and this and that by just you never have expectations because every day you're going to go do something random. But it does seem to be that they were an intelligence outfit, you know, back to them being called the finders and the finders fees. They claim to be just like, well, yeah, we're eccentric people. We live together. We have this lifestyle. But some of us, day, uh, you know, during the day, we're, we're journalists or we're researchers so we can make, you know, a, a living. And so I started to look at some of them. They've definitely been like writers in different magazines that have to had to do with technology since like the 80s and 90s. Some of them directly work with the intelligence community, like from the private sector still to this day. Uh, so a lot of these people that are, you know, accused of being involved in this, their names are still out there. They're still available because like one of the documents I came across, there was a leaked um, and it's been verified. It, it's definitely an accurate list, or at least it was at one point. Uh, it, they basically got doxxed. Somebody put out on like uh you know, it's kind of a long story, random chain of events that I was doing. I, as I was making the documentary and I was starting to get into some of this creepier territory, some of my followers were suggesting like, hey, just for your safety, you should put some of this stuff out publicly and not don't wait to the end. So I started doing like a, I did a eight, seven or eight part public investigation that led to the documentary. And one of those was just going down this rabbit hole of these, this random, as I was scouring the internet for finder stuff, I found this Yahoo groups post from like 2006. And it was about these people sharing a story of meeting this couple and the couple was wanting to rent a house from them in Florida or something like that. But there was something off about the couple and they weren't really sure. So then they started doing research and they realized, Oh my God, these people are in this group called the finders cult. And, you know, they lay out the whole history of the finders cult and this person, whoever put this out there was doing some mad research and they ended up actually here. I found a complete list of all the former members of the finders. And so that I was able to track down some of them. And yeah, I see some of them are still doing quote unquote journalism. Some of them are still involved in various aspects of the intelligence kind of uh, industry. Um, but that also led me down this rabbit hole of like, what of the man's name was Stuart Silverstone. And I, I don't know, I don't claim to know what the hell any of this means, but it starts with a tweet with a, with a hash that needs to be deciphered. That leads to a YouTube um, video link that YouTube video link plays some really creepy MK Ultra type shit, like lights flashing colors, like name, just weird symbols and stuff. Yeah. People start deciphering symbols within that video, and there was also a hash below in the, in the description. Those lead to a Twitter account that leads to, you know, it's this kind of chain for a few, you know, steps. Ultimately, it leads to this uh, this video where Stuart Silverstone, one of the members of the Finders, is commenting, and he posts another hash. That was solved, and it, and it ends with like a, the question, 
who will find with the finder's side, which is what I call my documentary, because I wanted to sort of just say, hey, whoever put that out there, they, I don't know what the purpose was, but somebody will know why I chose that name. And I mean, just so many weird shit like that, that I've actually, I'm glad I saved those videos because I was checking the other day, actually, um, and most of them are dead now. They've all been taken down from the internet and it's pretty hard to find any of them. Um, so yeah, they, they, but there was definitely some weird shit going on and, and different people have come across the finders and have recognized that they are more than what they claim, but yeah, they just would say, we're just here living eccentrically. We all share sexual partners. We raise the kids communally. We unschool them. Uh, and then every now and then we go on these random tasks for Marion Petty that he sent us on. Right. And I think what was going on is that some people were performing tasks that they probably knew what they were involved in. Others yep. may have just been doing real just random shit just so that they have, you know, they just think it's a game. I was just really going to ask you that. If, if your gut, when even speaking to this gentleman, if your gut was like, was he just a pawn? Did he know? Well, maybe he was just some kind of strange guy. Like, what did your gut tell you? With Robert Terrell, I don't think there's any, and I did ask him this as well. I asked him directly. I said, okay, you know, you tell me you were be be best buddies with this guy for 25 years. You shared his toothbrush and all that stuff. You were his right-hand man. Is there any way that he was involved in the intelligence community and you didn't know? And, you know, R Robert Toby Terrell was like, no, there's no way. There's absolutely no way that he could have been involved in that, this and that. But then at the same time, uh, if you watch the documentary, like, the follow-up question, I pretty much get him to admit, like, okay, well, he did have some intelligence connections, but that was, you know, it's so I could I caught him trying to be less than honest at least a couple of times, you know, where yeah. he didn't know how much information I had. And so I do think that he's still covering up whatever they were doing. And I'll say this that, you know, again, the accusations, there was satanic accusations, there was child sex trafficking accusations, there was intelligence community accusations. The way that I order them on a level of most credible to least is that. The most credible, which we absolutely have evidence for 100%, is that they were connected to the CIA, the Foreign Counterintelligence, uh, the Foreign yeah, Counterintelligence Agency, and uh, more than likely Chinese um, government involvement as well. Um, that's like for sure. There's there's close connections that they can deny. There's at least two or three different police documents that make that clear. There's the statements of uh, that Martinez was told, you know, it was being taken over by the CIA as an internal matter. There's multiple things like that. So that's 100% true. To what extent? We, you know, we don't know. Of course, they sit there and they still deny any of this. Um, the other thing, because there's also another document that says something to the effect of the, C the finders originated as a project of the CIA, but they had gone rogue. So it seems like, you know, that could have just been a cover story for them trying to cover their own ass. Like, oh, yeah, we were involved with it at one point, but then it started doing crazy things. Or, you know, they've known whatever crazy things it was up to the whole time. It's been state sanctioned and they were just trying to, you know, create a cover story. But that's 100 percent true. The child trafficking accusations, I think there's definitely strong, strong evidence of that. Um, like I said, the, the kids were there's clear signs of abuse from the kids that I don't, I don't know why little kids would make up some of the things that they said and like. You know, the, the evidence, I don't know why the doctor would just make it up. I think it's convenient that Toby Terrell can say, yeah, but that was the first medical report. And then you see a couple of days later, they got another medical examiner to come in and he said, oh, there was no signs of any of that. So in my mind, it's like that's when the cover up starts beginning, right? Like yeah. different people being brought in and stuff. So there's there's clear signs of that. There's um, what Martinez saw. There's um, just the level of um, 
uh, coordination organization that the finders had, again, using this early version of the internet to communicate, having pass passports to places like Vietnam, North Korea, uh, Russia, places that, you know, most Americans weren't allowed to get into at these times, you know, thinking during the Cold War and stuff, they all had passports from multiple places like that. Like there's clearly, there was international travel. And if it was involving children, then that's, you know, what we would consider trafficking. And if there are signs of sexual abuse, then I think there's at least something to warrant more of an investigation. Unfortunately, it's just been covered up. And then the the satanic accusations, um, I think are the least credible, not to yeah. say that I don't think that those agendas don't exist. I mean, I do think that there are people who, whether they call themselves Luciferian or satanic that have different occult agendas. But from what I've read, and again, like we don't have the full truth. I mean, I have three hour videos on my website of when these FBI documents were first released where I'm just like, all right, we're going to do a deep dive live. And I'll just go through page by page reading every mundane detail. And so much of it is uh, redacted. Uh, so there's still a lot of unknowns. But some of the main accusations related to the satanic thing were because there was, a, uh, again, like a picture of, um, and again, this could be something bad. It could be, I don't know, a picture of the kids with uh they were so the kids were wearing white robes white sheets and the person the adult were wearing the white robes and they were holding like a goat like that you know they just cut its throat and there was like blood on people and they're like okay well this is just an example of us teaching our kids how to raise animals and how to you know kill their own animals and maybe it could be yeah. could be a version of that right it could be something else but that was kind of where one of the accusations came from and i don't think that's strong enough to really say anything and then the other one was that uh Outside of the finder's house or the warehouse, there was a trail that went into the park and it led to a circle of stones that, I mean, that could have been for a fire. It could have been for a million different things, right? But it's like those kind of claims. I never really found any, in this specific case, um, anything to warrant like, okay, there was definitely some occult element going on. Again, maybe that part was even more hidden than what we've been able to find. But yeah, I definitely know they, they were connected to the intelligence community. There was some involvement with, trafficking children from one location to the other and more than likely sexual abuse going on and you know it's it's been totally covered up and there are increasingly few people who could do anything about it because they're all dying or they're all retiring and moving on and choosing silence or whatever so it's been that's why when i found the story at first i was like oh yeah i've heard kind of whispers in the conspiracy community about the finders over the years yeah. but i hadn't really until i did my own research realized like holy shit this is like such an open and closed case, like clear evidence, 100% documented right here. This isn't like Epstein or some other cases that people speculate about. Like, this is like, we've got the documents. We've got clear, strong evidence here to go off of. And to me, it's like, wow, that's, if you could get people to pay attention, which is what I try to do with the documentary, then it's just another sign that these kinds of things have been going on. And not only have they been going on, but they've been state sanctioned and state protected for at least the last 30 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I was. I'm thinking too with the satanic stuff, like that that time period too in the '80s, like a lot of satanic panic that would get headlines. You know, that's like mm -hmm. you know, threw a lot of stuff in with you know every everyone was a devil worshiper in the '80s or so that. But I, you know, from the little stuff that I've heard through conspiracy circles or free thinking circles is is I the the well dressed men always uh, stood out to me. Like, why were they well dressed men with all these ungroomed kids? Um, and I did hear a little bit about the satanic stuff, but not much. So I just, it's, it's such an interesting, scary, but interesting story that, mm -hmm. that there is so much to it that, that hasn't gotten out. I uh, appreciate all this work that you put into this, man, because this is something that definitely we need to know more about.
Um, well, and I want to I want to say to you, I'll, I'll share, I'll send the link to you guys, and anybody who wants to check it out. What I did was I uh, I have a, a mega mega account that I created a public downloadable file that has literally you can download my documentary, you can download all of my my original interview with Toby Terrell, the first one and the new one. You can download a file that has all the Washington Metro Police documents, the Tallahassee yeah. Police documents, like everything, everything that I found, every newspaper clipping, every interview, audio. I mean, I even had people trying to discourage me from looking to the finders as I was going. This is why I knew I was like, okay, I'm getting into something because there was a couple times where we were uncertain, like, did we leave that window open? Did somebody come in the house? Like, you know, things that were enough that, I'm, you know, where I was like, because I, you know, I started to just be realistic about it. It's like, I don't think I'm a big huge threat right but let's say who's ever assigned to watch ramon martinez to make sure he stays quiet and whoever else is assigned to kind of keep a wraps on this finder story they definitely were taking notice that i was flying around the country trying to interview people going to visit these ex-members of finders i'm sure that whoever toby terrell still has communication with the moment we got you know we finished our interview and i left he called somebody to let them know that you know somebody was poking around and so i'm sure that there would be People, anybody who's concerned about the story getting relevance again, uh, we'd be keeping tabs on it. And uh, yeah, and I, I definitely called a lot of different people. I mean, I've called so many people related to the case and had people turn away. I've talked to other journalists who, for one reason or another, became convinced that, oh, it's it, there's nothing there. It's all a lie. People who some of us other researchers think might have been corrupted uh, that like literally flipped and went from investigating the finders to then believing their story overnight. Um, I had this guy... Fred Burks, I want to say is his name. He's, I, I don't really know much about him, but I suspect he has more importance than I know at the moment. But he is this dude who apparently used to be a translator for George W. Bush, if I remember correctly. He, he served in the Bush cabinet uh, to some degree. And I don't think he was like any kind of big power player, but he was definitely somebody who had that connection. Um, and he randomly contacted me while I was making the Finders documentary and said, hey, I heard, I saw, you know, you're in the process of doing this. I just want to let you know, you know, I'm also a researcher. I've done this work, blah, blah, whatever. He's like, and I started to look into the finders and, you know, in the end, it turns out like it was just a big misunderstanding. He's like, I, I'm actually friends with one of the guys that got arrested. Uh, there was the, the two men, like I said, the well-dressed men. And he's like, and I just happened to sit down and I talked with him and I said, you know what, let's just clear the air. I'm going to record a conversation with you in case it ever is relevant. So it was like super convenient. This guy is just hitting me up like totally out of the blue. Like, by the way, like, hey, I heard you're investigating this. I talked to the guys. There's nothing to it. And he sent me an audio recording of his conversation with this finders member. And it doesn't address any of the points, like the major points. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, silly conspiracy theorists. And he tells the story from his side of view. But it, it, anyways, I basically told that guy, I was like, you know, I appreciate you, but um, I think I'm going to continue doing my work. And, you know, I continued on. But just things like that where I was like, okay. And I, there, I've come across other things with that guy, Fred Burks, I, I believe is his name. And I'm not sure he's who he portrays himself as. And I just thought it was odd that like, okay, why are people randomly Yes, encouraging me to just stop. <laughs> like I already did that work. You know, you have nothing to look into. Yeah, exactly. That was that was what I was getting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Did you did you ever feel uh, like were you ever in fear at all? Did you have anything weird happen? Other than like I said, I mean, a couple of times where the there were some windows and things that seemed to oh. be had have been opened and little things like that. But yeah. I think that I probably felt the most. Uh, like I said, the most. Um, aware of the potential danger when I went to go visit Martinez because it's like, okay, for one, you know, I'm committing to like, this is all coming out of my own pocket. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to fly halfway across the country. 
And the reason I thought it was worth doing is not only because he wouldn't talk to me via email. I kept trying to call him every couple of weeks and it gets to the point of like, okay, now I'm just harassing somebody. I need to back off, right? Like he's not going to. So then I was like, okay, well, maybe if I show up in person, I started doing research and I literally find out that the place he teaches Tai Chi is like 15 minutes from my, one of my good friends, the co-author of my first three books. And I was like, dude, I have to come see you. And will you come with me to stake out this guy? <laughs> and so we, you know, me and my friend were out there just totally. And I, it was definitely one of my first sort of journalistic stakeouts. And especially in this situation, where I'm like, this guy has some knowledge that people are trying to keep quiet. And he's yeah. chosen to stay quiet now because he feels like there's no hope. Like he told me, I have no hope that there will ever, anybody will ever be held accountable for what I know happened. That's exactly what he said. So, you know, he still stands by his story and he's just, you know scared and so when i was out there i was definitely feeling that like not just the nerves of the whole situation like how's he going to respond but also like i said if anybody's keeping tabs on the story and i'm traveling around the country to go try to interview the only people who are trying to blow the whistle about it it's probably getting somebody's uh attention yeah wow that's fucking nuts man i can't wait to watch this uh, documentary um mark do you have any yeah, I don't, I don't finders I, one thing, I don't know if I actually finished my thought real quick, but I, I think I turned into another tangent. But what I was saying is that the mega file, everybody can download that for free. It's got all my documents, all my, the, it's got the documentary audio video version. It's got all the interviews. It's got the newspaper clippings. It's got everything, everything that I could find on the finders that exists, all the FBI documents, Tallahassee documents, Washington Metro police documents. The only one we haven't been able to find, and this is why I think it's interesting that they're still keeping these documents under wrap, is the Virginia farmhouse that they raided they had a property out there and i've learned more and more about that there was apparently some other cults in that area including one called the community the guy who got them the land is connected to military intelligence just this whole other weird thing and there's been a couple of their journalists journalists who have filed open records requests uh to try to get the virginia state police who were the ones who conducted who conducted the the raid on the farm to release whatever documents they have because it's been 30 something years now and they claim that they have no documents related they're like we you know there's no responsive documents which means like there's nothing that exists and so a few people are trying to sue them to make i don't know you know see if they can pressure them to release because clearly it's like hey we have all these articles saying the virginia state police raided the finders farm there's going to be some some documentation what did they see do they take pictures what are, you know what are the reports all that shit should be available. So other than that, though, we have every single, I've collected every single document that's related and it's just called the finders archive. Like I said, I'll send you a link and people can download that for free. And yeah. that's also my way of just ensuring that this information stays on the public domain forever. Good, good. That's great. Hey, how large do you think the group was or at one point, like how many members? Do you have an idea on that? Um, there was definitely hundreds of members. So it was that big. Okay. Yeah. It was hundreds of members. And the other thing is we've, I don't think we even really knew how big the network was, right? Because as soon as these guys got caught, they started, you know, the the warehouse uh, raid um, showed that they were sending out communications. Like I was saying, telling everybody, hey, get out of town. Here's the roads to take, avoid the cops. So they clearly had some, yeah. they had some intelligence of their own. And there's reports of finders um, in San Francisco, Kansas, uh, I've even had people email me after the documentary and say, oh, I was a young kid and my older sister was hanging around that crowd. I remember going to the finders parties a couple of times and you know, she's like, we never got deeply involved. But, you know, so there's definitely like people who were around who remember hearing that name and different parts of the U.S. So, I mean, I don't know that we fully know the extent of how many different little branches they might have had. I wonder how many of the cults, cults or uh, any of those kind of groups, how they're almost all connected to intelligence eventually. Well, and this is this is something that I thought of 
really in the early part of our conversation when you were talking about your interview with Toby Terrell and how he tried to deflect it into the homeschooling movement. And, you know, mm -hmm. it reminded me of like David McGowan's work into the, you know, Laurel Canyon business and just how much of that culture, the hippie yep. movement and all of yep. it was manufactured. And you see this sort of splitting off from the maybe main body of uh, the United States, you know, citizens, for lack of a better word, into these sort of fragmented groups that, you know, obviously are more manipulated uh, in the sense that, you know, there's less eyes on these small marginalized communities. So it just seems like the perfect environment for a secret group, you know, or even the intelligence agencies to be doing these criminal activities within this network of of people who are already disenfranchised from society at large. It, it yeah. really brings into question for me, like how manufactured was the whole movement to begin with, you know? Well, I think that, you know, you talked about uh, Dave's work in Laurel Canyon and you're right, like Petty was part of that same, I don't know if operation is the right word, but definitely that same goal of the intelligence community. He was a little bit later, right? So he wasn't part of the hippie culture in the 60s, right? But he definitely had, um, according to some reports that we've seen, and um, that he was connected to some of the same people in intelligence who were setting up Ken Casey and, uh, you know, some of the, the hippie movement and stuff. He was after that. Like I said, they weren't like a drug cult. They weren't... Um, necessarily like a hippie cult per se well, it seems more um, like a, like one of the early live action role play type cults i mean you describe yeah. the game caller thing and mm -hmm. and obviously like post satanic panic a lot of those like dungeons and dragons games mm -hmm. people were afraid like oh our kids are playing these weird games you know but there was a truth to that i mean operation cicada to take it into more recently that felt like uh, a li live action role play where they're having people, you know, participate in this code breaking thing. Who knows? Those guys that got participate, you know, uh, recruited from that participation and code breaking these advanced algorithms. Maybe they're now hacking, thinking that they're playing a game, but they're actually affecting world affairs. You know, this is kind of I feel like a precursor to that. This live action cult role playing thing. No, I think that's a good insight. And then, like I said, when I was going down the rabbit hole of uh, following those videos, that was kind of like a cicada thing. It's like, hey, follow this hack to this thing, to this decipher, to this. And it's, you know, it's like, where is this going? Somebody put that out there. It seemed like too random to be a troll because, like, who's going to find this? This is totally random. Who's looking up the finders right now and is going to find this random blog that's going to lead them to this tweet, to this video? But it felt like somebody was wanting to leave a trail that was supposed to be followed uh, by who knows? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely – he, I think, is part of that same thing. Like I said earlier, he was supportive and connected to the um, – the human potential movement, the futurist movement, a lot of the things that are still very influential now today, he was there kind of in the beginning of them. And so it seems like he, they set him up as just like, here, you run this house. We're going to bring all kinds of hippies and people through. And I, I kind of started to mention this earlier. So when I found Toby Terrell, the way I found him was because I was looking up the game caller book, his book. And it said, come by the, the Tallahassee Zen Center to get a free copy of this. And I was like, Tallahassee Zen Center, what's that about? I looked it up. Toby Terrell for years had been running some kind of hostel slash Zen Center art space. And when you look at 
the the characteristics and the the actions taken by the finders, it's pretty much classic like what he what he did. They would go out and they would put out ads in newspapers trying to hire babysitters, trying to hire all kinds of people, even for shit they didn't need just because they were trying to recruit people and meet people in different arenas. They were trying to go um yeah, they said they they definitely said that they would use hostels and youth centers and places like that to try to connect with people. So it wasn't surprising for me to find out thirty years later. Toby Turrell's running a Zen hostel in Tallahassee, Florida, with a lot of young people hanging out. And even when we went there this most recent time, um, I didn't have his number anymore, so I kind of just showed up on the spot to the Zen hostel, and I could see like his little attic above the the restaurant or the cafe was still there. So I'm like, okay, he must be there. We went inside, and it's like all young, hip, cool place, right? And I'm just like, hey, do you guys know Toby? Is Toby there? Oh yeah, yeah, we know him. And they gave me his number, uh, and then you know we ended up doing the interview. But it's like they have no idea. The guy that's living upstairs, like his history, what he's connected to. So it wasn't that surprising to see, though, him using a, a place like a hostel or an art studio, et cetera, because that's classic finders um, uh, kind of recruiting methods wow. and spying methods. Do you have any more information on how they were, they were you said they were communicating pre-internet, like uh, electronically? Did, did you guys ever uncover any of what that was? Was it just like pre-internet type stuff? Like... Uh... Like, was it almost like email? Yeah, so they had some, let me see if I can pull up the name of it. They had some early version of email and they um, they were also, they had, com- you know, computers at the time. Obviously computers did exist, but not most average people were using them. Yeah. Um, and they- It would have been a closed yeah, system sort of thing, right? Like they would have exactly. only been able to interact with other people who were wired into the same network they were. Exactly. And so they had some sort of network because, like I said earlier, they when the when they raided their warehouse, there was no notes that they found, like giving them information and, and clearly messaging, like saying, hey, two of our men have been arrested, you know, this and just communicating to people in other locations. And uh, I don't know if they ever were able to really find out where they were. So it was called MCI mail, which was one of the first email systems. So they were using MCI mail before most people even knew what it was. Um yeah yeah that's why some hippies that's that's crazy that is nuts yeah and that that was part of their whole stick right it's like their finders fee right because they're good at research and you can hire them to go investigate things or you can hire them so i think it gave them this cover for why they would have all these passports right it's like oh we're just doing yeah. journalism we're traveling around we're just you know that was their cover is like just playing that role but then oh we're also part of this weird cult that is you know training children to live differently and we're not feeding them regularly and we're traveling around with them and they're dirty because you know they're like well yeah the kids you know i which i get to some degree but just hearing this guy try to really play it off is just driven me crazy because he's just like come on man the kids need to be out inside and playing in the dirt it's like yeah i get that but i don't know if that's what they're saying you, these were just some kids with some dirt on their knees like no they said that they were bug bitten and they look like you know just strung out and they didn't they don't know, know anything about the modern world and totally like they've been kept in some sort of bubble or whatever and they said they hadn't ate anything but potatoes in a few days like you know that's a little different than just it's like, oh, the kids were playing in the yard and they looked a little dirty or something like that. But that's just the way he tries to spin that one as well. Yeah, just hijacking, hijacking some stuff and turn it like just what they do, man. They hijack, the, you know, like you said, the homeschool movement, something that has, for the most part, has a, a, a pure intention, you know, jump into that area of, of and just completely fucking pervert it. So it seems like a lot of intelligence circles do, you know, you were saying, Mark, I don't, I personally don't know if, 
if they manufactured the hippie movement, but they sure as hell infiltrated it. And it seems like absolutely, yeah. They it seems like they do that with any kind of cultural anything going on culturally. Like you know, any kind of counterculture movement gets hijacked pretty quick. Um, you know, it's it's wild, really wild. Um, the cult, the cult part. Like, do you think they're still active, Derek? As a- I mean, I don't know if they operate in that same manner. Um, like, as far as if there's a new game caller out there or yeah, not. But I, I do think that uh, you know, or what I'll say based on the police documentation that we have that at least one police department felt strongly that they shouldn't believe them that they were going to break up and disband because what they called the finders master plan that they found in the warehouse clearly said that that was part of their strategy was to rename themselves to splinter off into smaller groups and you know continue under different ideas different names maybe even different people um you know like i was saying some people probably spent some time involved in the finders and thought it was just a weird hippie cult thing that they were part of for a couple years and never had any idea about some other inner circle stuff going on absolutely they were like yeah i just got sent to go fly on random trips and go pick up groceries and do this like you know it was just weird things i don't know but they might not really know what else is going on yeah i feel for those people I could easily be one of those people. Like, yeah, there's some interesting people that I get help with. Do you have anything to connected to? Um, I, I want to ask you before we wrap this up, I want to ask you a little about conscious resistance. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely, man. So um, my website is, is the conscious resistance. My first three books are, the, are called the conscious resistance trilogy. Um, it's a concept that I've been using a, a name since 2012. Um, Briefly, you know, I got on this path because I went to prison in 2005 when I was 20 years old. I got addicted to crystal meth, went to prison, discovered meditation, started doing a lot of healing work, working through my trauma. And then I got out in 2008 and uh, started waking up politically to conspiracies and all that kind of stuff about a year later, late to that mid 2009, getting into activism, 2010, doing journalism and all the stuff I've been doing. But for me, like my awakening very much started first from like a spiritual standpoint, from like having to go through this really insane shit to find, why, why was I trying to stick as many drugs up my nose as possible thinking that was the key to enlightenment? You know, why, why was I going down this path? And, you know, just starting to look back at my family's history of drug abuse and prison and trauma and just healing from that. So I was kind of already on that journey before I really started to get into the activism. And, uh, you know, the way I explained to people was like the first couple years of my activism or just the spiritual journey and the activism I was kind of on, I, I had this dual life I was living because I would go to the protests and the rallies and the marches and the activist things we were doing. And that was fine. We'd do that. But I would try to say, Hey guys, there's a meditation this evening. You guys want to come join? And people would you know, say, what are you talking about? A hippie, you know, or like I try to talk about the deeper spiritual questions about life and get some sort of blank faces. And just like a lot of the activists I knew at the time were mainly like atheists who seemed disinterested in, in you know, that conversation beyond that. And so I kept that to myself, but then I would go to my spiritual friends, my consciousness circles, and I would say, you know, we do our thing and I would bring up occasionally like, Hey guys, have you heard about this bill they're trying to pass? You heard about this latest police shooting or this or that. And they'd plug their ears and say, don't talk about it. You're going to manifest it. Don't bring the bad vibes. You know, it was like sort of stick your head in the sand. And so for the first couple of years, like I was literally living dual lives because it felt like, all right, I'm going to keep my activist shit to my activist friends and I'll keep my spiritual mm-hmm. stuff to my spiritual friends. And uh, then in 2012, 2013, I had another kind of shift, you know, one of those nights where you're just up watching YouTube videos till 4am or something like that. And 
this phrase, the conscious resistance came to me. And it was just for me, like a moment of realization that I couldn't separate this anymore. And that for me, you know, the way I explain it is the conscious resistance is the understanding that the fight for a better, more free, ethical, just world is not only going to come from confronting the physical institutions of power, exposing them, trying to build better systems. That's definitely part of it. And it's important, but it's also, a, you know, the other aspect is our internal journey, what I call the battle against your own internal tyrant, your doubts, fears, insecurities, limiting beliefs and shit that can keep you from being your full self. And, uh, you know, the two of those things coming together for me is like the conscious resistance or what I sometimes call holistic activism, holistic anarchism. And I mean, again, that all just comes from my personal experience of going through depression, suicide attempts, drug abuse, drug addiction, and then prison that, you know, if people would come to me back then, I was pretty open-minded. I was kind of anti-authority in a general way already. I didn't trust the government. If somebody had come to me and tried to talk to me, like, hey, you heard about this finder's cult, you heard about what they're doing with COVID or this and that, whatever issue... I would have heard, I probably would have been interested and, you know, even supportive, but I was also just trying not to kill myself that day. You know, I was trying to just make yeah. it through a, a, a shitty time. And when I got through that and I got out of prison, I started realizing like, wow, there's so much trauma in different ways. We each experience it differently based on our upbringing, our, our experiences, et cetera. Uh, but there's so much trauma in the world and the people who are stuck in that, they're looking for outlets and they're going to find it in drugs or alcohol or sex or addiction or whatever the hell, or just by apathy. Like, you know, we're just trying to ignore things. And to me, helping the part of the human population that needs healing is also a way to help them recognize that, like, there are some fucked up things going on in the world. But the two, we got to bring the two together, right? Like, I don't think we can just ignore our spiritual aspect. I think this is a spiritual war to a large degree uh, between these types of people. Uh, I don't think we can totally ignore that and only be physical body, just, you know, eat, go to work, fight in the physical realm, try to build new systems, like, and ignore our internal world. And at the same time, meditation and prayer alone aren't going to fix things either because you still got a physical body you got to feed and you got a physical world that you got to be a part of. So the conscious resistance is kind of bringing together that idea and the website is just the conscious resistance network um, is the idea behind that is it's a place where I post all my books, my articles, my documentaries, podcasts, interviews, et cetera, that I've been doing over the last 10 years, but it's also kind of a rotating cast of team members. So there's different people. Um, my friend, Johan, who's uh, part of the Indian anarchist movement out in India, uh, a few other people who contribute different types of content. So it's kind of become like a loose team um you know i'm always looking for new contributors people who want to write articles or do video content in a similar vein and uh you know i give them access to the platform and all my channels and stuff like that and so yeah i mean that's that's kind of the gist of what the conscious resistance is Eric, what you just said was so beautiful man and i gotta tell you i'm very proud of you that um that you overcame such a hard addiction and then not only did you overcome it but what you're doing for the world that's amazing and what you just said really was was unbelievable man um you're right. It is a spiritual war, war as well. And I kind of have a, a similar story as you. Um, I, I was kind of more on a spiritual <clears throat> journey. Um, and then uh, conspiracies kind of came after. I'm not really. It was kind of just a, a mesh of things. But I, I dove way more into the spiritual side of things and saw all those conspiracies. And our buddy Sam Tripoli always says that uh, conspiracies brought into spirituality. And it's just it is all entangled. And it's very, very important. Uh, what you just said was just so fucking important, man. And, Thank uh, you, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's really amazing, man. That's really, really some amazing stuff. Um, and uh, we need we need more people like you. 
I appreciate that, man. And I'll just, I'll just uh, make it clear too to the audience that all of my work can be found at theconsciousresistance.com. The Finders documentary, you can watch there for free. My Epstein documentaries, my 5G documentary, uh, my 16-part documentary series I'm working on right now, The Pyramid of Power. You can download my books for free, podcasts, et cetera. It's all there, you know, so if people want to get plugged in. Uh, Derek, before we end this, I just want you to stay on for a couple minutes, okay? Is that sure. cool? Yeah. Yeah. Mark, do you have anything else for today's free thinkers? I just want to second, you know, the praise for Derek, because I think what you're doing is awesome, brother. You know, and I also should mention that you have uh, freedomcells.org, which is another really oh, yeah, amazing yeah. thing that you've done uh, to help, you know, not just people putting content together. You know, anybody can go ahead and, and look up a freedom cell in their local area and get in touch with like-minded people. So you're doing a lot of great Absolutely. work, man, and I'd love to link up with you on my podcast and also with the podcast cooperative that I started, Alt Media United. I think it goes hand in hand with what you're doing. So we ought to have a conversation about that as well. But Absolutely. thank you, brother. It's been a really thank pleasure so hearing your research and, and thank you for sharing it with our audience. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. And I'm happy to come on your podcast anytime, brother. All right on. Thank you. Do, oh. We could even do like a little outro too. I feel like that's, you know, good way. Cause we want to, yeah, we yeah. want to plug, you know, everything. We don't want to yes. always do that in the, the intro. Yeah. We want to do it at both ends, but what do you think? I mean, Derek, yeah. uh, other than the minor connection issue, that was awesome. I thought that was a great connection, uh, great podcast. Yeah. Oh no, that was really good. That was really good. I almost kind of wish we talked about some other shit, but that was really good. That guy's smart <laughs> as hell. When you say other shit, you mean it was just kind of a heavy conversation? Yeah. I hear that. Yeah, it's like, ugh. But, yeah. you know, it's fine. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting one. People have actually asked me to do episodes on that before. You well, know what else they asked me about, but I think it's another depressing one, is Missing 411. Mm, yeah. What is that? I, I've, been, I've been trying to get that guy on uh, Tinfoil Hat. He's, he's what is that? very well known. Just... Well, That's what people like just get missing in the parks. Is that what that is? Yeah, I don't know how connected it would be to what Derek talks about. Merely not at all. But uh, missing four one one. David no, Polites. No, no, no. Just a separate thing. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. No, I know. David Polites is uh, is the guy who does that. And I guess the the evidence that he's stacking up is how many people mysteriously disappear in national parks. So that's gotcha. what the missing four one is about and it's interesting because there's no like federal investigation bureau that's in charge of investigating these kind of things in national gotcha. parks like it doesn't fall under any jurisdiction so it's a weird it's a weird intersection of like true crime conspiracy paranormal yeah. Uh, a lot of people talk about how there's water that's always mysteriously nearby or maybe even like People talk about how these disappearances are all in areas where there's also Bigfoot sightings. So yes. it kind of bleeds into a bunch of different genres. But, uh, you know, I think the, the term conspiracy is really overused. And I don't know if this is really a, a conspiracy podcast. Anyways, this is a free thinking podcast, exactly. you know. So yeah. I hear you when it comes to, like, the today's subject. It was definitely... Uh, it was like true crime, intrigue, and conspiracy, yeah. and, and and very dark, you know, sinister aspects of our government and uh, and our society. And you know, if we're free thinkers, we're gonna tackle it all, and hopefully, we'll world. get David Polites on. But yeah, I think listeners should hit us up if they have more 
suggestions. Can we, can we do David Weiss again? That got a big views, man. Well, I'm sure there are other guests we can get on to, to get big <laughs> views. Uh, but if you want to talk about Flat Earth, yeah, we definitely can get The only problem with David is that he just only says his thing. Like, he won't. <laughs> well, and right. he's, he's a fun guest because what he points out, I don't think, you know, many people can argue with. And that's what's really interesting about having him on. And I think that's why so many people agree with him and like him. Because he, he makes a good case for NASA being complete liars. The conclusion yeah. he takes, I think yeah. that's up to that's up to you. You know, you can go as far as like, okay, well, NASA's obviously lying to us, or you can even go a step further and be like, that means the Earth is flat. You know, I I tend yeah. to be a little more conservative with that. I don't know either way what shape the Earth yeah. is. You know, I don't know exactly. I don't know either. I think I it's more of a, a realm, like Sam's been saying. I think that's a, a yeah. it's something that makes a lot more sense you know especially when you consider half of your life is spent asleep you know half of your life is spent is spent in this world that we still have really no physical explanation for so why are we going to go so far to try to say that what we're living on you know it's just true yeah it's it's just there's so many more interesting things but i i think is is santos bonacci impossible to get because that dude is flat earth, but he's got so many other fucking amazing shit to talk about. Right. So much shit. Yeah. Santos, I would consider him more like syncretism would be a way to describe what he talks about. But yeah, we could is reach out hard? to Santos. Is he a hard guest to get, you think? Hard? There's no such thing. Everybody's, every, you can get in touch with everybody. The, the people True. who are hard to get in touch with are people who have YouTube channels, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't mean, I mean hard to land. No, no, no. With the right, with the, with the, with the right message, you can book anybody on a podcast. It's just all about, you know, meaning well. I mean, some people, some people might look up a podcast and be like, oh yeah, they're too small for me or whatever. That's rare. You know, I've, from my experience, more people are just too busy. Yeah. Um, but you know. I don't think they'll be too busy for this podcast. You get some heavy hitters, Tommy G, Sam Tripoli, uh, yeah. Megan Cush. We had James from We the Pe- We the People on. We had Dave Zed. We had Zach Voorhees. And today yeah. we had Derek Bros. I mean, these are all it's funny because I've like guests. stepped away from the podcast, like listening. I've been listening way more com- and it's so uh, egotistical. I've been listening to more pod- uh, comedy stuff just to hear if they talk about the dojo. Well, I don't listen to any, any of the. Uh, I haven't really listened to any of this, you know, this genre, what I was always listening, like really intrigued with. Well, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to put some homework on, on your plate then and give you some podcasts to listen to. You better get yeah, some Bluetooth sure headphones. Some, <laughs> I'm sure there's some really good stuff going on compared to when I was first listening. But, but, uh, a friend of, he's become a friend is the first person that ever like recognized me. He came to the restaurant was like, Hey, are you Mike Romanelli? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like a big fan of the free thinker side. Anyway, he's become my friend now adding on. Um, and I think you've met him before and, uh, he, uh, he always like, I bet you'll text me soon. Like he knows when the podcast drops, always gives me some feedback. And he was like, you know, what's the, what's the next show going to be? And I said, Oh, I had the Google whistleblower on And He said his name right away. Voorhees. He's like, you had so-and-so Voorhees on. I'm like, yeah. He's like, Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad we're getting that feedback and dude, tell, tell him he's welcome to, uh, call into the show. We got to 
publicize that telegram, it's essentially yeah. a voicemail. Yeah. People call us on the telegram. Just leave us a voice message there. All you got to do. Say something like that now in the intro or the outro on the telegram. I'm saying Join it right telegram. now. We're we're recording. Oh, we're still recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is candid, Mike. This is a kind of podcasting people appreciate. They want to hear this stuff. Uh, no, you you didn't say I this is the stuff. This is the stuff that normally I think people wanted to listen to at first was most just kind of hanging out. Well, and um, that's what people like. I think that's what we need to we need to find uh, a rhythm here between you and me with uh, the intros and the outros, and then that's going to translate to the interviews because yes. i think that rhythm is there in person when i'm in studio but yeah. you know we've only done a, f a handful of zoom podcasts together most of them have been like not even like this face to face because there were so many technical issues ba back <laughs> yeah. in the day but you know we're in the new era of free thinker society <laughs> the new season of free thinker society and I think, yeah, we got to do these kind of outros and include the listeners more because Adenon and everyone else out there who is a free thinker is a part of this society. So how are we going to oh, include yeah. them? You know, I think that's the thing. I well, want to invite some awesome podcast as well. But yeah. Oh, well, then we should have him on as a guest. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I want to have him on as a guest. He's just, he's just something I want to do in studio. I don't you know, he's a friend. I want to have people more in studio. I, I do way better. It's, it's, I'm, I'm getting, I think I'm getting a little better with zoom, um, to do the zoom podcast, but I just don't like to stumble. Like, you know, when people stumble over each other and all that, where it's so much easier to pick up cues when you're in studio. Well, just and it's them. also so much less intimidating when you don't have two cut out superheroes looming over your shoulder during the interview, get them out of there. I was like, what is going on? It looks like the finders cult is about to sneak up on Mike. Yeah, I was, I mean, when he's describing the place, like, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like the dojo of comedy. <laughs> yeah. You're up there in the attic. <laughs> yeah. A place for weirdos. Hey, yeah. Yeah, you know about addicts. You're in one right now. Yeah, I'm in an attic. I'm in a place where there's just always weirdos around me. Oh, man. Well, um, as far as the Telegram goes, the link is in the description. Join the conversation. People are a part of it already. There's already people chatting away there, but there could be more. Uh, I'll, I'll put the link in the Tinfoil Hat uh, podcast Telegram because we're Tinfoil Hat adjacent. I work on tinfoil hat show so this is it this podcast is in the tinfoil hat family of podcasts i don't know oh, if you if you knew that or not but there's a tree a venn diagram if you will and we're somewhere <laughs> we're at apple somewhere on the tree that is the Absolutely. tinfoil hat podcast so everybody who's a listener of this show i'm sure knows about tinfoil hat and uh yeah Join in the Telegram. It's going to be fun. We're going to take your voicemails and air them on the show, and Mike and I will respond and, uh, you know, include you in the show with your questions or even just whatever you want to say. You know, Mike and I will will play it and respond to it. I'm going to double-check and make sure we don't have any already in the backlog, but is there anything you want to say uh, for TIFFs and, and the dojo? Let people know who's going to be no, I mean performing this month. Uh this month we got a lot going on, but Sam Sam will be back at the dojo. Oh, that's not, why is that even happening? I don't know how I don't even know how that happened. That's I don't a even tinfoil know hat intro. <laughs> I have no idea. Tinfoil hat just came on my phone. I was trying to find Sam's dates for, uh, but he's. I was trying to go to the website, but anyway, he'll be here in July. Sam will be here for three nights in July. 
uh, to Dojo. You guys should definitely get tickets. We haven't really announced it yet. It's the, the links are up, but we haven't announced it yet. Once we do it, they will sell out. So just give everyone an early warning. Um, that it's up on the website, tiffscomedy.com. I don't know if it's on Sam's website yet, but people are buying tickets and we haven't announced it yet. I would love to hang out with everyone this summer. It'll be so much fun. Um, that's where we get a lot of crossover uh, listeners from, you know, no mercy podcast and and the swarm they seem to all show up at the dojo on those shows um so that'll be a lot of fun there's tons and tons of shows going on this summer uh tons tomorrow we're celebrating 420 here i don't know when this will be released but tomorrow we have a big 420 party here it's gonna be a lot of fun uh i believe new jersey gets legal we're legal on the 21st so it's gonna be a hell of a celebration here tomorrow oh, wait hold on did they do that on purpose they're like all uh, right we'll give them one last illegal holiday <laughs> yeah I, I guess so i mean all the all the dispensaries and stuff were trying to get 420 but yeah whatever it's a day later it doesn't matter i don't think anyone's going it's i think we're ready to decriminalize so nobody seems to care anyway right. um but yeah we have a lot of great shows coming up we have a lot of great guests lined up mark has a lot of great guests lined up i'm super excited about season two um i do have some fun fun podcasts that are going to get produced that i'm, I'm not going to be on necessarily all of them but there's a bunch of fun podcasts comedy podcasts are getting produced out of this room um tons of good stuff lots of awesome new jersey comics i was just talking to sam about this about how there's just so many funny people from new jersey that that just don't get the recognition and a lot of them hang out here so hopefully they're going to get a voice and uh you could you'll see them um through this po podcast, not, I want to say network, but just this room that we're using. Uh, and we're going to do some swap cast and we're going to do a bunch of, a bunch of stuff. We'll have some more comedians on, uh, once again, I like it more in studio, especially with comedians. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what's going on around here. Been really busy. Um, that's pretty much it, man. I'm really excited for the new season of free thinker society. You know, Mark's do, working his ass off and helping me out a lot. And I'm really appreciative. I'm appreciative to anybody that listens to this podcast as well. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And same goes for everyone tuning in. People know me from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and, uh, you know, Free Thinker Society. I've been on, uh, I don't know, maybe eight times as a guest. So I feel oh, yeah. right at home as a producer. But yeah, tell, let, reach in touch on the Telegram. Let us know what you think about season two what you want to see on the show, guests, topics, whatever it is. Yes, and and, and please, leave us messages, leave us a question in the form of a voice message, and you will hear yourself here on the Freethinker Society podcast. But until next week, thank you so much for being here, folks. Peace out.